Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. I want to make sure you're all at the right place. This is the ACB membership seminar. And did everyone get a raffle ticket when they came in? Yes. Okay, super, super. Okay, Donna, um, can you see if somebody hands or puts their hand up? Raise your hand high so Donna can see you. And then we'll go ahead and have introductions. You're all set? Uh, Donna, did you catch the lady that didn't get a ticket? Is there anybody that needs an assisted living device? Um, if you need help with your listening device, please raise your hand. <clears throat> okay, welcome, welcome. Um, today, the theme for this session is how affiliates can be inclusive and remain viable. And we're going to have two wonderful panels. But first of all, I want to go around and have people introduce themselves. And we want this to go really quickly. So all I want you to say is your name and what affiliate you are with. Period. Nothing else. I don't want to know all the offices you have, whatever. We just want to know your name and what affiliate you're with. And I'm Artis Pays in the ACB membership chair. I won't even list the affiliates I'm with. Okay, Deanna Quietwater, Noriega, Missouri. Michael Byington, Kansas, period. <laughs> <clears throat> Denise Colley, Washington Council of the Blind. Renee Zellickson, Government Employees and ICB. Tom Jones, Chicago and Bits and Illinois and we're a couple others. <laughs> Betsy Grinovich, Georgia. 
Art Cabanilla Hawaii Association of the Blind. Landa Falan, also from the Hawaii Association of the Blind. Zelda Gebhard, North Dakota Association of the Blind in CCLVI. I'm Mary Stipp, uh, North Dakota Association of the Blind. Doug Stipp, NDAB. Andy Arvidson, Washington Council of the Blind. Colette Arvidson, Washington Council of the Blind. Miguel Palomar, El Paso Council of the Blind. Yes. Frank Welty, California. Jay Doudna, Oklahoma. Norman Dalkey, Oklahoma, LUA and BRL. Peggy Garrett, Missouri City, Texas, Lua, Multicultural, <laughs> and Membership. Marion Howell, Delaware Council of the Blind. Suzanne Howell, Delaware Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Susan Ament, Bluegrass, and CCLVI. Ninetta Garner, Mountain State Council of the Blind. Donna, Br Donna Brown, Mountain State Council of the Blind, which is in West Virginia, in case you didn't know that. Todd Falstrom, NDAB. Amanda Falstrom, North Dakota Association of the Blind. Kathleen Fox, Omaha, Nebraska. Jim Urock, ACB, Nebraska, CCLVI. Mark Bulger, Nebraska. Jeff Mihelich, ACB, Minnesota. Adam Rushable, Kentucky. Debbie Detheridge, Kentucky Council of the Blind. Karen Campbell, Illinois Council of the Blind. Um, where's the microphone? There it is. There we go. <clears throat> Ray Campbell, Membership Chair, Illinois Council of the Blind. Sandy Edwards, Arkansas. Sarah Conrad from Wisconsin, CCLVI. Alan Peterson, North Dakota Association of the Blind, exclamation. <laughs> Cynthia Jewell in Texas. 
Consuela Bates, Texas. Deanne Elliott, Massachusetts. Sally Ripplinger, Iowa. Sandy Spalletta, DC and AABL. Troiano from uh, Boynton Beach, Florida, where it never gets above um, 90 degrees. Ellen Telker, Milford, Connecticut. Okay. Deborah Stegg, South Dakota Association of the Blind and GDUI. Oh, Hi, Mary Haroyan from Massachusetts. Lori Scharf, New York. Thank you. Did I miss anyone? Okay. That's it. Okay. Thank you, Allison. You're welcome. Our uh, first panel is going to be on how to connect members using alternate media structure and social media. And the speakers on that panel will be Alice McGrath from the California Council of the Blind and with uh, California Women's uh, Group, and she's from San Jose, California. Second one is Ron Brooks from the American Council of Blind Families. He's also obviously from Phoenix, Arizona, so in that affiliate. Uh, John McCann is Blind Information Technology Specialist from Tucson, and he's also on my committee. So I'll let them have the podium. Um, let's see, where's the portable light? Okay. Okay, here you go. The reason I usually use podium, people might have questions. Here you go. Just save your questions till the end of the panel, and that way we can uh, have the mic to rove. Okay, yep, here we go. Um, yes, my name is Alice McGrath, and I am from the California Council of the Blind. I um, am the vice president of our chapter, which is the Silicon uh, Valley Council of the Blind. 
And I'm here to just briefly talk to you about, um, it's, it's actually a committee, um, and how it is that it started and how we use it to stay connected in between our annual council uh, meetings. So the um, CCB Women, which is what it is that we, we go by, it, it, it's a group. It started about four years ago. Um, and it was the inspiration of Frank Welty's uh, um, better half, uh, who's not here because she's working, Vita Zavoli. And um, what she put out there was she uh, created a listserv um, through our CCB website called CCB Women. And um, just got the word out for people who wanted to uh, join the listserv. And the purpose for the listserv was for us to connect share information, um, ask questions, um, things related to blindness, things related uh, to life in general. People would check and see if they're buying a new appliance, if they had, um, if the, anyone knew about something that was accessible. Um, information um, just about life topics in general. Um, some folks elected to also use it that if there was something that was going on in their life and they wanted to share it, whether it be happy or difficult, and then um, folks were able to lend their support on the list or, or off the list. Um, so in one, one big benefit of the CCB Women's List is for new people that came into the California Council of the Blind that happened to be women, um, that they were able to get plugged in very quickly even before they attended an annual con um, con um, conference or convention. And they were able to um, introduce themselves on the list, um, share a little bit of information about themselves and, and their own personal journey. And so when we actually met up with each other in person, uh, you knew something about each other. And I, and I think one of the things that's wonderful about uh, CCB as well as ACB is that we have a long history with members that have been a part of this organization for many, many years. And the other part of that is to figure out ways of welcoming uh, new members in and having them feel like they don't have to, uh, you know, figure out where they fit in, that we welcome them and invite them. And then they can just ask their questions um, about CCB or anything else related to uh, blindness. This then um, kind of morphed into a couple of other different ways of getting connected. Um, one of them um, is we have two telephone conference calls um, that are program related. Um, two individuals within the group offer to select a topic and share the call. Um, so uh, it could be one of the topics was turning points um, in your life and what it is that happened. Another one, um, another topic was individuals who mentored you and how it is that mentorship had an Im impact on your life. So um, when they put the topics out there, they share it on the list. People call into a conference number. Um, we ask folks if they do plan on uh, sharing so that we have a general idea of how to allow enough time per, per person. And then folks um, share based on the topic. Uh, so uh, again, it's another way, nice way of connecting in between the, the actual convention. 
Then um, at the conventions, um, we've done this at our state convention, um, but we also did it in uh, Las Vegas when quite a few CCB members attended Las Vegas, that we plan a breakfast meeting um, with a theme and sometimes with speakers. So our most recent uh, theme, just to give you an idea, was on um, how to help us uh, write our stories. So memoirs, or if you um, want to become a writer within articles. So we had two people that shared that. One was Susan Glass, and the other was uh, Judy Wilkinson. And uh, it was wonderful. Um, they gave us some exercises. We got a chance to kind of um, share and then left motivated um, to start start writing again. Another um, breakfast meeting that we had was a roundtable discussion with just some funny topics. So people shared within their group um, and then reported back. So uh, the meetings for the breakfast meetings are just one hour, but it's a nice way to connect. And then we are connecting in, in between. And um, I've enjoyed being a part of it. Um, I also, even though know, I know many people within the CCB community, I ended up uh, meeting a whole lot more. Um, so it's cost-free. It takes just someone to either um, to monitor and, and uh, moderate the list, and then some volunteers to share the actual programs in person. Very little effort with a huge return. So that concludes my um, conversation. And then we'll take questions after we hear from the other speakers. Thank you very much for listening. Good afternoon. I'm Ron Brooks. I'm uh, actually outgoing, or past president, I guess, by now, of ACB Families. Um, and what I wanted to do is just share a couple of things that we've done to really kind of build our affiliate. Um, so ACB Families is a special interest affiliate, of course. We are not, uh, you know, we're not in one place. Uh, we're spread across the country. Uh, so we've really had to, to work really hard to build our membership. Uh, and really build a relationship that is primarily done through email uh, and through telephone and, and you know, occasionally you know, getting people here at the conference, although most uh, you know, folks are not uh, coming to the conference. Uh, so what we did, first off, from a membership standpoint, we have really um, tried to focus on a couple of things. One is we've done, we've tried hard to use social media uh, we have a Facebook page that is moderately active. It needs We need to do more with that, but we've started to really try to push Facebook. Um, and families like Facebook because you post pictures of your cat and, you know, your, your, what your kids have done or whatever. Um, the second thing that we've uh, tried to do is we've, we've done a really uh, couple of things with promotions. And last year we had a very successful promotion um, to get people to uh, basically participate in a drawing. Uh, by becoming a member at, by a certain point where they were into a drawing 
uh, for a prize. Actually, we had a couple of prizes. They were good prizes. Um, we did it creatively. And rather than just giving away a gift card, which is kind of boring, we gave away a Thanksgiving dinner uh, or a holiday dinner. And even though it really was the same gift card, we marketed it as a holiday dinner, which, of course, we're families, and families eat, and families have holiday dinners, and they celebrate. So we really tried to kind of stick to our brand, if you will. Uh, and th- we got a lot of buzz with that and got a lot of folks interested in the affiliate. Um, but ultimately, once you get them there, the real, the real work begins. What we try to do to build our affiliate and keep people's interest is we, we do buy monthly uh, conference calls where we have a topic that's of relevance to people who are you know, thinking about family, you know, kind of blind family issues. Uh, and we have a couple of regularly scheduled topics. Uh, every January, we have an information call about a financial topic uh, because we're all broke after Christmas. It's irrelevant. It's relevant. Uh, so we do uh, tax tips. We've done that every other year. Uh, and that has been very popular with people uh, outside our affiliate as well as inside. And then on the other January that we're not doing tax topics, we, we did a financial investment workshop that was actually very, very good uh, and, and answered people's basic questions. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's something that we want to continue. Uh, another topic that we do is, is we always talk about, usually in the April-May time frame, we have a presentation uh, from the folks who are going to run the Kids Explorers Club. And we talk about convention-related topics, and particularly convention, traveling to convention on a budget or with family, uh, because uh, it's different when you've got a family of five or a family of four, uh, and you're trying to figure out, how do I keep those kids entertained, and how do I come back from the convention uh, you know, with more than the clothes on my back? So you know, we have that topic. Every October, we have a gift-giving workshop where we bring someone in who is going to talk about um, accessible gift ideas for everything from small kids to uh, you know grandma and grandpa. You know what are some accessible gift ideas that we can give to people? And again, the whole point here is one is we try to build predictability so people know that hey, it's January they're going to be talking about money. Um, it's October they're going to be talking about gifts. Uh, so we try to do that, and um, we we try to use those opportunities not only for the topic, but also to give people a chance to check in, to talk to each other, to ask questions, to share information. And I think we have a long way to go still as an affiliate, but we've really gotten, you know, we've built a couple of things. These are really pretty easy. They don't cost much. And uh, we've started to build some momentum. Um, the other thing we do is with our topics. You know, here at conference, we, we have we really try to aim for the fun events that are family friendly. Again, kind of keeping with our brand. Um, so, uh, you know, we have our bingo night every year. We have a breakfast every, you know, every year as, as do other affiliates. But we really try to have topics that are family specific and family focused. Uh, this year we did uh, uh, genealogy and, you know, we called it in the family tree. Uh, so we try to be a little bit clever with, with branding and marketing and uh, that, you know, those things are starting to pay off. We have a lot of lot to learn, and I'm looking forward to hearing from some of the other speakers. So I will uh, conclude right there. Okay, this is John McCann with Blind Information Technology Specialists. 
and uh, I'll talk to you about some of the ideas that we've had. As you know, Ron was just talking about uh, ACB families being a special interest affiliate. Um, Bits is uh, the same posture, the same type of organization. Uh, the title of this presentation of this panel is about how to be inclusive, but I, I need to say at the outset that being a group where there's a higher perhaps than normal percentage of people who are technologically savvy, we do tend to use technology more than uh, more than is true in, in other affiliates. However, having said that, of course, uh, we use telephone like everybody else does. Um, and so let me just start by talking about social media, since that's one of the dynamics in play here. Um, Bits does have a Facebook presence, but it's kind of dormant right now. Um, we do have a Twitter account, and we've uh, just expanded the Twitter team. Uh, it was a Twitter team of one initially, and then we added the second, uh, the, the vice president, Andrea Pitzenbarger, and then we just brought on Terrell Jones uh, because Andrew and I were jammed up and we weren't getting as much out as would be desirable uh, on the Twitter account. So I look forward to Terrell really upping our presence in, in that environment. The one thing I do want to say about Twitter, though, it really helps if you have a good internet presence because with Twitter you're dealing with 140 characters. Okay, you can go over that if you're doing direct messages, so-called private messages. But this isn't about private messages. This is about where you can get exposure, and so you want very public messages. But you've got 140 characters to work with. So Twitter works best in that context if they're like headlines or pointers. Um, a brand new uh, Braille device now coming to market for blind people. Read more at http dot dot dot. So that, that's pretty much the way that works. I also want to talk about something interesting that Bits has done only in the past year. We've embraced a chat client program called TeamTalk, and it's something you download on your computer, but it's very rich, it's very robust, and they've also now come out with uh, a version of this for the iPhone. Uh, and its latest iteration, I think, is, is working quite well. Um, my Bits secretary who's out there in the audience, Tom Jones, was, was very much a... Uh, like sort of preaching the gospel on this one. He was the one who kind of really pushed it and said, we got to get with the program. Bits has always had what it calls a Saturday night chat session. But way before I was involved with Bits on any official level, I remember when they were doing this on the For the People uh, chat site. Some of you may remember that. Uh, there were any number of Blinky-specific, well, I shouldn't say it that way, but... You know. <laughs> You know, blindness chat sites. It was for the people, New Vision Network, Out of Sight, VIP Conduit. The list sort of went on and on. It started with audio tips, I think. But be that as it may, Bits was on for the people. And then when I became involved, it had pretty much gone over to um, teleconference. Uh, but Tom sort of beat the drum for, hey, we're a technology affiliate. Let's see. Let's use this client and, and uh, get on board with it. And we've had a lot of success with it. I think within by the end of the year, uh, we will probably use it exclusively uh, to conduct our, uh, possibly our board meetings, definitely committee meetings. We're already using it for committee meetings. Uh, for board meetings, again, since we are technologically savvy as a, as a group, um, that we might use it for that. My only reticence about doing that is I don't want to disfranchise those who are non-board members but who certainly have the right to um, attend as guests. 
So that, that is the one thing you need to always be aware of. We are in the second decade of the third millennium. So, uh, But having said that, I understand that people don't always have, for either socioeconomic reasons or otherwise, they don't have access to the latest and greatest in technology, or technology does intimidate them. But when I was in the government, and I'll end in a second, when I was in the government, I heard the mantra, doing more with less, I heard it until I wanted to become physically sick. But that's a dynamic that we're all faced with, doing more with less. And I think technology is certainly the key to that, especially when you've got wide uh, geographic disparity, people all over the place, which is true of all the special interest affiliates. So I think that about covers the waterfront for me. Okay, thank you. Now it's your time to ask questions. And you can choose uh, which panel member you'd like to ask the question um, to. Um, so just um, shout out your name, and Allison's going to run the mic. Um, make sure you say it on the mic. Yeah, I'm Hi, this is Sarah Conrad. I have a question for John about Twitter. Um, I know that some affiliates struggle to keep up with tweeting um, because it seems that um, a constant presence is really important on Twitter to keep um, people engaged. Um, what strategies have you used to um, maybe delegate that off to various people, or um, have you found a certain timeline to be helpful? What, what strategies do you use to keep your followers engaged on Twitter? Well, that's a very good question, Sarah, and I think I'd answer it more from the perspective of uh, being the lead for ACB's Twitter presence. I think giving it to one person is asking too much. I'm, I'm a big proponent of using Twitter teams because you want coverage. You know, people have jobs. People have other lives. People can't just, even me as a retiree, just not going to um, be constantly monitoring the Twitter timeline. Interesting thing about Twitter, I think it helps um, if you have a credible diagnosis of moderate to severe ADHD. Uh, <laughs> I know with Twitter, that's pretty much what you're looking at. But first of all, don't try to milk Twitter. With Only use it if you've got real news. I mean, I'm not worried if the Twitter account is down for three or four days because there's some people that think that if you don't tweet every day, you're going to uh, not get followers or your account isn't going to be taken seriously. But I think the other side of that risk is you just tweet really marginal stuff for the sake of presence and it just becomes filler and people are turned off by filler they want to know that if they see a tweet from you it's substantial it's meaningful and i think we've struck a good balance with the acb national account blessedly we've had so many cool things to tweet about that we haven't been hurting for downtime i've not seen that account be be down for like any more than three days or four days because there's always something that's meaningful and that's worthwhile that we can tweet so it is definitely a balancing act Another question? Thank you. Yes, my name is Mary from Massachusetts. And my question is, um, well, maybe for any of the panelists, but maybe um, Alice, I like the idea of your, um, your list. 
do any of you have, uh, when, when you are informed of a new member coming into your affiliate, do you have any kind of um, material or introductory, quote unquote, packet that you send to a new member or either by email or just anything to welcome them to the affiliate? Sorry, it felt like I came from Rhode Island to get here. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Rhode Island, so I feel like I can say that. Not from the CCB women perspective, but I, I will answer it from another group that we have out of California, which is the um, guy, guy. Okay, I'll try again. Is that better? Okay, sorry about that. So, um, not not from the CCB women because we're not a we're not an affiliate. We're just a group. Um, but there's another group that I'm a member of is Guide Dog Users of California, and we do have a membership packet. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's actually um, just a list of benefits for being a part of the of the group. Um, GDUC also has a list served through the California Council. And when someone comes on board, um, we don't reveal them on the list. We invite them to um, introduce themselves. So if they feel like they want to do that, then they can do that. When they, when they join, they receive information about GDUC as well as um, what that means for being connected with California Council of the Blind. So it's a very straightforward um, um, information sheet in um, Braille and in print. Yes, uh, my question is for Ms. McGrath as well. Uh, and uh, I, I like the idea that, that you have the lists. And can you, can you tell me a little bit more about your roundtable discussions? Or what sure. are some of the subjects that you might? Sure. So the roundtable di discussions that occur um, at, the, at the convention, um, usually it's a group of people that, that brainstorm them. The, the purpose for the roundtable is more um, to bring a little bit of lightness. You know, we're, we're, we're all working hard when we're at a uh, convention. And so um, some of the topics are, are um, within, the, within the table discussions, people talk, um, you know, people in our lives that were important, someone you would want to have dinner with, whether they were alive or, or no longer here, um, you know, just, just ways of helping people to get to know each other. Then the other option that we have done is um, for education purposes. So the example um, that I used for our most recent one was a um, informal uh, writing workshop that we were able to accomplish over breakfast um, because the two speakers um, both are extensive writers themselves, and they were able to come give us five different tips on keeping us um, writing. So um, there. 
impromptu in the in the in the way that we just decide among ourselves who the what the topics are and people raise their hand and say okay I'll do that sure okay we're gonna move on to the next panel seems like there's never enough time to answer all the questions <laughs> so our uh, next panel is how to protect your affiliates' important records. And on this panel, <clears throat> and I hope they're all in the room, <laughs> um, Sally Benjamin from the Florida Council of the Blind, Steve Fixtel from Washington Council of the Blind, and then Lane Waters from the ACB Minnesota office, and Nancy Beckert from the Minnesota office. That was a great discussion on membership, and something came to mind that would really be, um, I think, helpful that the conversation sparked with me is we do a series of forum calls every month um, that cover different topics similar to the, to the roundtable discussions that were mentioned, but they're, they're phone calls. What if you had a monthly call for members, new members? to introduce them to your organization, to tell them what's going on, where to find resources, and so forth. So take notes, Denise. <laughs> um, in, keeping important records is very critical, as, as probably you all well know. And it's a way... Um, if you use the right media, it's a way of passing along um, documents that um, outlive your tenure as, as an officer. We use a, um, an online application called Dropbox. Many of you are probably familiar with it and may even use it within your affiliate, but it is a shared folder that resides in the cloud and you can have any number of folders you can have personal folders you can have business uh, documents you can have your affiliate documents in a folder and you can um, invite people to participate or to have access to those folders which is what we have done with our board of directors we have a folder for WCB board, and in there we have our membership roster. So all of the board members have access to that. We maintain our constitution and bylaws and, and other documents of that sort. We upload our quarterly board meeting agendas and minutes and, and things that go along with that. So we try to keep everything, and, and we've got documents going back several, several years, um, but it's a way of passing along what you have been doing over the years and what you're doing currently so any board member has access to that information. The other thing that I have found, and it's, 
And it's somewhat related to securing your documents, but having checklists. Um, I assumed my office in January, and a number of things had not been done. And we weren't really sure what to do next or where to go or what we needed to do. So we just, in a lot of ways, we started over because some things had been overlooked. And it's no one person's fault. It just, it happened and we needed to to resolve it. So going forward, we're making checklists of all the things that you need to do. And it's getting quite long, um, especially when you get into banking all the signature cards and transfer of records and so on and so forth. Um, so it's very important, I think, that you maintain some type of checklist or to-dos or whatever you want to call it, but, but know and be able to pass along what needs to happen so that you do have a smooth um, transition and that your records are there so that you can pass those along to others as uh, need be. So, thank you. I'm Sally Benjamin, and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about record keeping. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is how to keep your records um, forever, or basically forever. Um, we have, we are fortunate, we have um, someone in our membership who has allowed us to store uh, literally a file cabinet with four drawers in it with paper documents. And I mean, it goes way back probably to the beginning of Florida Council. And it has things in it like charters for chapters, um, any important letters from, you know, a governor or things like that. But the thing we've done with all that, because, you know, you think, oh, my goodness, all that paper. Um, you know, you kind of sometimes want to set a bonfire to it because it's, it takes up room, but you can't do that. Um, so we have, in the last few years, started scanning, and I think... We have scanned almost all of it into the computer. Um, we have an archives committee that keeps track of it, and what they do is the person who has the file cabinet has an extra external drive that she keeps, and then there's a, the chair of the committee keeps the other hard drive, and they each have a copy of every important document that's in that file cabinet. Um, and I can't tell you, I used to work for Florida Council, and I just retired, but um, I can't tell you how many times people called the office, well, we need a copy of our charter, or we need a copy of our minutes, or we need, you know, well, if you don't have it and you don't save it, it, it you can't get it back usually. Um, and we also in the office keep, or I did, um, as, when I took over that position, 
a hard copy of things like chapter charters in case somebody calls, I can say, well, yes, I have a copy of it. Because for them to go through the archives, it might take a while. Um, and they, the other, one of the biggest things we did, um, I know that to those who are totally blind, it mean, pictures mean nothing, but um, we have someone who takes a lot of pictures at our conventions and our board meetings, and we have scanned most of them into the computer. I have one album left that I need to do, but um, we've scanned them in and labeled them according to who's in that picture, and we've also written on the back of pictures so that, uh, now there's a few that didn't get labels because nobody knew who they were, but, um, and you know, you think pictures are not that important, and yet they're part of our history. They're part of what makes our organization. Um, and the big thing that we did a few years ago, we created, the Archives Committee created a, a CD, and it's actually two CDs, and we sold it to members or whoever wanted one to, for $50, and you get two CDs. You actually, we had recordings of people's voices, and we put that on it. We put... Um, we had one person, one member, who used to write in our newsletter a spotlight on different people in the organization every time our newsletter came out. They put that on it, um, and they put pictures if they had them. And, of course, um, you know, that is a way to kind of keep your your history and what's, what's going on, who's done what. Um, and we also require our chapters to send all of their minutes, we just changed it to once a year now, they have to send it in to the, and a, a treasurer's report, into the secretary, and she keeps all of that, the state secretary. Um, and it sounds like a w lot of work, but, you know, if you don't do it, uh, it's going to get lost. Um, and the other thing, one of the things our chapter has done is that when we change officers, we make sure that any documents um, get passed on to the next officer, the next president or secretary. Um, and there's really so many ways now to keep it digitally that you don't have to have all those piles of paper. Because if you're like me, you don't read much, so you don't want to have all that stuff sitting around. But that's basically what we do. Um, with our important documents, and we keep also keep all of our 501c3, our tax exempt, everything in our office. Um, if you're, you don't have an office, you do need to designate either your board members or somebody to have copies of those things, because somebody in your organization is going to need it at some point. I wished we could get by with a four-drawer file cabinet. We had to rent a storage shed. <laughs> yes. Okay, you guys. Um, some of what I'm going to talk about is probably a little repetitive of what they said, but it's something that's very important. Um, whether you're an affiliate or a special interest affiliate, there are a couple things that you should have. Um, one is you should be registered with your state that you're in. So if you're a state affiliate in that state, if you're a special interest affiliate, you need to be registered 
in a state, not necessarily your state, but it has to be a state. And you also should be registered with the federal government. And the way to reg register with the federal government is to get a federal employee identification number. Um, another thing that you want to do is to protect, uh, you want to um, become a 501c3. Um, there's different subtitles under 5013C, but the reason you want to become a 501c3 is because it exempts your organization from paying federal income taxes, and it also makes your affiliate eligible to receive tax-deductible charitable dona donations. I've had some people say, well, our, our organization isn't that big anyhow. Well, if you're looking to get donations, let's say a $100 donation or a $150 donation, I've been with other organizations that when you're going, going trying, trying to get that um, donation, these businesses say, can you show us your 501c3? If you don't have that, some of them will not even give you that $100. So it is important that you get that tax exemption. The, and next thing you're going to say is, how do I know? The easiest way to find out if your affiliate is tax exempt is to go on the IRS website with either your federal employer identification number or your legal name. Um, I have some large print handouts that I have. Um, when I get back to the office, Lane and I, within the next month or two, are going to work to put this information on ACB website. And we will have the link for you to look to see if you are a tax-exempt organization. Is it in the document? Yes, it is. Okay, we brought, it, we brought okay, okay. Artis said that you guys have, um, they brought that in. Yes, they have that with you. If you try to look through here and you can't find the information, you know what? Give me a call and I'll help you work through it. There's a couple other um, um, websites I can look at to see if see if I can find it under your name or find it some other way. If you aren't okay, what you need to do to keep your tax exempt status. The first thing you want to do, and I think these uh, other two have said this, you need to keep your financial records so that you know what your gross income and expenses are. You want to keep these records with your corporate documents, and the reason you want them is number one, so you have it for filling out your 990EZ, and the other thing is if the government comes to you and wants a copy of your records, you need to have those, and you need to have backup on those. Um, Filing an annual return with the IRS. If your gross receipts are less than 50000 a year, then all you have to do is file the 990N postcard. And that 990N postcard is, once you get into the website, takes maybe five minutes to do. It does not take that long to do. Um, if your gross receipts are less than 20000 and your total assets are less than 500000 you can fill out the 990EZ or the 990. Um, just from my perspective, the 990 postcard is the easiest to do. However, if you fail to file your 990, 990N, 990EZ for three consecutive years and you are a tax-exempt organization, you will lose your tax-exempt status. Then you have to go through the process of filling out um, a time-consuming application, complete your tax returns, and you have to pay to have your um, organization reinstated. This can take about six months to do. 
Um, this recently the IRS has come out with a new form which is called form 1023 easy which is only three pages long which is great because I think it used to be like eight pages long um, it does take a little while to do but it is a lot easier than the one that was there before you also need to pay a user fee and the user fee was $400 but at the beginning of the convention I had someone tell me that it is less now but I don't know ex what the exact amount is but it's it's approximately $300. That's just to get it initially. Just, e either initially or reinstated. I think it's about the same price. Okay. Um, when is your 990N due? If your tax year ends December 31st, then you need to file by May 15th of the following year. Now, your, um, your N should be in with your um, tax-exempt information. So on these websites I've gone in, you can find a lot of information about your affiliate and it does have in there the last time you filed like your um, 990 when you guys first filed for it it has what your year-end date is um, I had a, an affiliate recently who thought their year-end date was December 31st well, when I looked on the website it was September 30th if your tax year ends in a different month then you need to file by the 15th day of the fifth month after the end of your tax year so if your tax year is July 31st, then you need to file by December 15th. Um, the IRS recently has changed how you file your 990M postcard. It used to take you out to um, some that they contracted out to do to um, they contracted out to another company, so you file it on that one. But now the IRS is now has are, is doing it in-house. So. Um, in helping people get on there. Sometimes they've had a, uh, complications. They've just called me and I've been able to help work, work them through it so that they can file their information. Let's see here. And I know um, both Steve and Sally have talked about your keeping your corporate documents. It is important to keep them in a spot that is accessible for everybody. If I am the president or the treasurer and I keep it under my Gmail account and then somebody else is elected president, I have all the information in my account so it stays with me. If you can get your um, email address to be a generic one and give the passcode to the next president or someone else who's on the board, all that information can stay with that person. Um, I know with the state of Minnesota, when you file with them, they electronically send you a reminder to file your um, annual information so that you keep your um, business, what do I want to say, your business documents. Well, if I have it on mine, and then Steve's like the president, he would never see that. So then you could lose, you could um, lose your, your, you become inactive. And, and Steve would never know. Steve would never know that he was supposed to file something. Your state documents. The agency where to file your corporate documents depends on the state. Some are called the Secretary of State. Some are called the Office of the Attorney General, the Corporate Commission, or the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs. States do vary on how often you have to file your corporate documents, and in some states there are fees involved. Um, some affiliates are incorporated in D.C., and so those are renewed every two years. There is no fee for that. 
I know in Minnesota we have to follow them every year. There is no fee for it, but if you forget to file and you become inactive, then you have to pay to be, have it um, become active again. I think that is it. Thank you. Okay, again, we'll allow a couple questions. Um, I think when she meant there was no charge, there was no charge for the DC office to handle it, but you have to pay the fee to the DC office for it. So, <laughs> hello, this is Mark Bolger from Nebraska. Uh, do you have any recommended uh, number of years back you should keep your information from a legal standpoint and then also from a historical perspective standpoint? Because it's getting hard to keep everything. If I remember it, I think legally, I think it's seven years. Historically, um, I know, we've, I know in, in our office if it's seven years old and it's not something that's real important, we do get rid of it. Anything that has to do with our general ledger, we have it from the starting of time. So we have a, we have a lot of space that's used up with those documents, but you, we can't throw those away. A good thing to do, though, is if it's a um, paper type stuff, put it into a Dropbox or put it into uh, a Google document. So it's it's kept in the cloud and it doesn't take up space. I'm Sally okay. Ripling, um, and I have a question about like documents and different things in that of the like that are important. And I would like to know, like, let's say, though, for example, somebody that is president or secretary or anything gets to the point where they cannot do it, such a stroke or whatever, would it be good to have a copy there and a copy somewhere else? So therefore, the person that had a stroke would be replaced until that person could come back? Yeah, that's what, that's what uh, one of the speakers said. Make sure you share it with your board or at least with the officers so a number of people have it available. And that's what's good about Dropbox because it's in the cloud. So all you have to do is invite people so you can make changes, add new people, and make sure there's several on that account. Well, then I think Ron had one more question, and that'll be the last one. Oh. So, Allison, if you want to. I might have. Oops. 
question? By the way, I, th I think I might have just uh, done something to artist's uh, braille display. So. No, I think I shut it off as you oh, were walking up that here, was, so that's why you noticed. <laughs> that was really smart. So i got a question about privacy concerns, uh, and particularly a couple of things. One is, uh, are there any kind of state disclosure, or and I know these probably vary by state, but um, anything to think about in terms of disclosure laws? And on the other side of it, HIPAA, um, because you are collecting information about people's, and I realize we're not a medical provider, uh, but are there privacy concerns that we need to be addressing? Is it appropriate, for example, to keep certain kinds of information separate from other kinds of information? So, for example, I know that as a nonprofit, we have to publish or be prepared to provide information about board members, but maybe we can protect the confidentiality of other types of information. Could you just comment? Anybody want to comment on that? We in Washington State do not. Um, we don't, one, collect anything um, medical. Uh, I think the closest to it is whether you're sighted or uh, legally blind or, or totally blind. That's about as far as we go. Privacy, we are very um, particular about whom we share information with. Um, only the board has access to the membership list. And in that way, we can protect people's phone numbers and email addresses and, and make sure that there's nothing inappropriate occurring. Um, okay, that has to be the last one. Okay, I'm, in Missouri, we do have a sunshine law. So one of the things we tell our members is, even on our e-lists, do not post um, personal information because those are, they could be subpoenaed and looked at. And anything that is of a sensitive nature that our board handles goes into executive session and only the outcomes of the, of the decisions made are publicized afterwards. So personal matter, personnel matters, all of that kind of stuff, we're very careful about because, you know, we don't want to be in the position that Hillary is in where every single email she ever wrote is um, being questioned. Um, and the other thing is most uh, affiliates have a policy that the only share, uh, sh shared information they give is if a member wants information, then they'll give their name to the proper committee or whatever so they can call them back or whatever. But they don't uh, release information about any member unless that member requests that information to be shared. Okay, the next item on the agenda is uh, recognition of the uh, membership Growth Awards. You were probably on the floor when those were given, but I always like to recognize them as well. And if a representative is from that, either one of those affiliates, they can give us a quick uh, few seconds on if they did any one thing in particular to help them get that Growth Award. And the two groups are the Government Employees Group, American Council of Government Employees, 
and Renee Zellickson is president, and the other group is uh, Citizens with Low Vision, and I understand the new president for that is Leslie Spoon. <laughs> uh, but uh, if there's a representative from either one of those, if you want to quick come up and just share a, a couple things you did differently this year. Or if um, somebody wants to run a mic to them, if you want to raise your hand. I think Renee is here, but I wasn't sure if anybody from CCVLVI was here or not. Oh, okay, Jim is here. Okay. 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 Okay, thanks. Yeah, Jim Urock, ACB Nebraska, CCLVI membership chair, and I'm going to be very honest with everybody. I have no idea what we did. <laughs> uh, I... I can tell you that when I took over the uh, membership chair in 2013, uh, it was a complete disaster. It was a mess. And I'm sure for many special interest affiliates, it's hard to keep track of, it's hard to keep track of, hold on, I'm sorry. Let me call you All right, I apologize. I'm sure it's hard to to keep track of you know who is supposed to if who is a member who's a life member who's not a life member and and who's getting you know what format and what documents and all of that so i think what we did when in 2013 i went through the list and tried to compare you know from the different chapters that we have and find out who was who had paid and who hadn't paid and i purged so it really was a surprise to get a membership growth award for purging members. <laughs> uh, I, I really honestly believe that in 2015, when, we, when I had a better handle on things, uh, I think what we did was we, had a, we kept better track of who the members were, and we added folks we found we found that we had some life members of CCLVI that were not in the database. So it's a matter of going through and compiling and and trying to reconcile the records. Is basically all we did. So if reconciling gets you membership growth award, I think every village should do it. <laughs> and that's, I guess that's all I have. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, or, or somebody want to bring the mic to Renee? I don't know which is faster. So <laughs> I, I guess I got it. Okay, thank okay. you. I think uh, the main thing that uh, we did was organize the time that persons pay their dues, so that it, we had it in uh, by before the April thirtieth uh, deadline. We also. I also found the affiliate to be in a disastrous uh, situation, and I uh, did a lot of reaching out to the board and to uh, my fellow board uh, um, uh, members, and also to the affiliate itself to see, look, we need to in be engaged uh, in moving if this uh, affiliate to keeping it on track and giving reasons why 
this affiliate needs to be a vital part of ACB because it represents so much help that is needed for people with uh, regard to their em employment and access. Thank you very much, both of you. Okay, now we've come to the end where we're going to do some handouts. We have two handouts here. One is uh, one for your affiliates to use for getting new members. It's a resource list for people losing their sight. A lot of times people don't understand the benefits of membership, but if you have a document, you can hand out and show some of the things that they can do to help someone newly blind. That'll help. The other document I have is Keeping Your Affiliates Safe, and that deals with a lot of the um, 501c3 issues and some of the other things folks have talked about here today. Both of these documents were also handed out at the president's meeting, so you might find some of them familiar. But uh, we know that not everybody goes to the mid-year meetings, so we wanted to make sure they were available um, here as well. And while they're handing out the documents, I have large print and braille, and I'll also be putting those on the membership email list the ACB membership email list, and on the president's uh, the leadership list. So um, people who, you know, there's some people that don't read large print or Braille, but they do email attachments, et cetera. So while they're handing it out, we're going to do some door prizes. So pull out those little tickets. Okay. Now, I put Braille on your tickets, but I did not put them on my tickets. So I'm going to draw one, but I'll need somebody to read the number. <laughs> I figure then you can't accuse me of being, uh, you know, picking certain people. <laughs> of course, there's no names on it anyway, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Just the last three digits. Last three. Eight, nine, eight. Eight, nine, eight. Eight, nine, eight. Now, oh, did you give out all the numbers? Oh, okay. So there might be a number that's called that no one has, but I'll give you another chance. Eight, nine, eight. <laughs> okay, Steve, we'll do it again. All right. 949. 949. And who is me? Okay, well, you can come forward. I've got um, some door prizes here. Unless I have a runner. Okay. <clears throat> you haven't gotten your exercise enough in this large hotel, right? <laughs> okay, well, she's coming forward um, to run it. Okay, uh, here's $10 cash from Kenneth Simeon. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> okay, the next number is... I'll let you run it. Nine three zero. Nine three zero. Okay, and you get a you get a tote bag, ACB tote bag from Allison Smitherman donated that. Okay. Eight eight six. And who's that? Okay, and this is a music CD that Peggy Garrett donated. <laughs> okay, and the last one is uh, going to be a. Uh, one of my books, and so you'll just have to come up here and tell me which one you'd prefer, but I don't want to go through the litany on the mic. So just come to me, and you can have your choice, and I'll send it to you. Nine, four, eight. Nine, four, eight. Nine, four, eight. Okay, a gentleman in the back, and who's that? Okay, you can just come to the front at the end, and then we can chat, okay? And uh, Nancy said she'd remain here up at the front for a few minutes. If you had any particular questions uh, related to 501c3, um, your incorporation papers, anything like that. And uh, just hang tight. Uh, I'm not sure if they're done doing the handouts, so make sure you stay if you want one. And if you've got them, you, you're willing to. You're welcome to leave. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it.